You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Leading Innovation at Work. I'm Lori Rowlandson, your host, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by Min Semps. She's the president and CEO of Motivity Partnerships, and she's going to be talking to us and contributing to our wellness series around wellness at work. How are you today, Min? Well, <laughs> thank you for asking, and it is truly a pleasure to be here with you today. Oh, thanks so much for, um, I'm, I'm really excited to learn from you today, and you serve, you certainly have such a, an esteemed background. Uh, just before we get into your presentation, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your company, and you know, the other thing I'm really interested in, Mim, is has how, I mean, when we were growing up, this wasn't actually, uh, wellness wasn't a profession that was really defined. And I think a lot of really amazing women that I've met have found their own path and pioneered their own path. So I just love to hear how you arrived at the doorstep of this part of your life adventure as well. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to share a little bit of that crazy journey, honestly, <laughs> getting to where I am today. Um, certainly wellness or health and well-being was not on my radar early on in my career. Uh, I've done a lot of work in benefits design and benefits underwriting for, for companies. Um, prior to that, I worked um, at a couple of Wall Street firms. And then um, back before that, way back at the beginning of time, I, I actually did some work at a, a chemical engineering think tank at Lehigh University. I was a corporate liaison for them. Um, and uh, so it's been an interesting progression. So I worked in finance, then I got involved more in the benefits design world and uh, got my license and learned um, really was great experience working with organizations at all levels, different sizes. So startup hedge funds to, you know, large multinational companies. Um, but what kind of emerged for me was um, companies were struggling, you know, there's so much conversation about, well, we now have to pay more for our healthcare from the employee standpoint, but too often, I don't think um, there's enough understanding about how much of the bottom line gets eaten up by healthcare costs for employers. And it's been a real struggle, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that prompted the question for me, what are we missing here? Um, there have been health and well-being discussions, stress management courses in the marketplace since the 80s. We've had on-site weight loss programs. We've had, you know, I mean, there's a long list, right? But clearly, um, other than a few outliers, we aren't seeing a whole lot of success. And so my question and what really got me passionate about this was, what are we missing? How do we get more strategic? How do we cut through the noise so that we can truly help leaders create cultures, not just where employees are healthy, but um, where teams can thrive and stay uh, resilient, particularly in the 21st century workplace, which is filled with change and stress. <laughs> so um, I think more than ever, the companies that are succeeding today in such an innovative and disruptive time are the ones that really have figured out that it factor with culture, right? And it seems to be the most mercurial thing in, in a company is how, how do you create a culture? And I'm really excited. I mean, I think this is an amazing shift in corporate culture and really um, creating a different level of acuity and focus on culture and actually realizing how to, a roadmap to actually how to do that. And 
recognition that it is one of the key success ingredients of truly successful organizations, I think is a completely different mental frontier than we've ever had. I think it's always been implied, but I'm really exciting that it's gone from being in, in our subconscious minds to our conscious minds, and we're taking concerted efforts towards progress. Would, would you agree with that? Um, I would. I think that there is a growing awareness by leaders that um, they have to they have to have things in place that are going to attract and retain the talent that they need. Um, more and more employees at all levels, not just millennials, um, want to know that their companies care about them. And uh, with especially in the U.S., war for talent. Yeah. It's there every single day. It is, um, I know, top of mind for most leaders and most organizations. And um, we live in a very transparent world now. So this is not like it was 20 years ago. We have Glassdoor. We have people that are um, much more willing to share salary information, information um, behind the curtain. You know, oh, we have a wellness program. Well, they don't really have a wellness program. You know, they just say they have a wellness program, but we never really have access to it or it doesn't meet our needs. And so companies that are um, ahead of the curve have done their evaluations, have shifted in, um, you know, how they put these things in place and they build on their strengths. So I think what you say about culture, for me, it's not about you necessarily um, changing your culture. It's about being aware of the best that's in your culture, the strengths that are already there, and then strategically building on those um, so that your solutions are specific to your organization. And um, I truly believe that there has to be customization around this. There is no one size fits all. Um, it'd be nice to think that there is, uh, but that I have never seen that play out. <laughs> so um, the strategy, particularly for companies that want to stay competitive, I think is going to be key for them. I think the other thing that you've remarked on is how convergent um, so many different professions are, 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 are converging more than ever. H, like I'm, I come from the facilities management and real estate side, corporate real estate actually, and I'm studying more um, and running into more HR professionals and reading workplace psychology and how we can use that to affect workplace design and workplace programs enabled by technology. So we're seeing HR, IT, and real estate converge in ways, in more sophisticated ways and systems than we ever had before. So I'm so delighted you're able to join us today. I'm excited to hear your window into this topic and I uh, can't wait to be enlightened. <laughs> Well, wonderful. And again, it's, it's, um, it's a pleasure to be able to share information and share some of the lessons learned. Uh, so we'll, we'll jump in here. And uh, as we touched on, there has been so much focus on delivering health care, which I um, tend to call sick care. Uh, we are constantly trying to take care of people that already have had heart attacks, already have high blood pressure, already are overweight. Um, instead of spending as much time on the front end and saying, how do we prevent these things in the first place? And I think from a workplace perspective, um, I kind of align it with safety committees. You know, safety committees in organizations are about making sure that there are no accidents and keeping their people safe. And so that is one of the biggest shifts, I think, when we start talking about health and well-being. How do we get ahead of the curve, um, keep people from burning out, 
keep our turnover numbers down. Um, but then also taking a good hard look at wellness programs. Uh, this to me is one of the biggest issues. So um, I, I know Rex Miller is another presenter, but through the think tank that, that we all did together and not just this one, but several that I've been involved in, um, I've been in the room with multiple leaders talking about wellness and wellness programs. What are wellness programs? You know, what is wellness versus well-being? And honestly, at the end of the conversation, um, I don't think we've ever really come to any clear definition. And so I tend to think of it as um, learning how to create cultures where people can truly thrive and that are intentionally inclusive so that all the knowledge and wisdom of all the leaders at different levels that you have in your organization can show up and do the job that they need to do, that are resilient enough to get through crisis and change. Um, so it goes beyond your typical wellness program, one technology solution. It is about, to your point, having this integrated um, approach. And it is across disciplines. Everything from how is this being integrated into leadership training um, how are benefits, HR, health and well-being, and property management all working together? Um, do you have summits within your organization where you actually share and talk about um, opportunities? Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of gaps in the marketplace, and my other hat is with Global Women for Wellbeing, and we talk a lot about feminine and masculine leadership skills. So where we think this falls into all of this is instead of thinking um, of like wellness as a more feminine thing, right? We're gonna, we're gonna help everyone. Um, that we start to shift this into a conversation around connection. How do we connect the pieces so that when we are executing on a strategy, we know that we're executing in the right way and for the right problem. And how are those things tied back to our bottom line so that when we are putting these programs in, they are the right programs, the right initiatives. Um, and we also leave leeway for us to be able to measure success or tweak because that's the other problem. Typically we wanna put something in, we leave it there for a year. Oh my goodness, this isn't working. Um, and that's a real mess in terms of you know moving forward. But there is huge opportunity and um, this slide actually, I know was originally developed by Delos and I was a consultant to Delos early on in their, in their process. And this really resonates very deeply for me because I came again from the benefits underwriting, HR health prevention side. And so property management um, was not really something that was on my radar. And so uh, I was delighted to have this whole new door opened up and get to go on site at the Well Living Lab at, at, at Mayo. But when you look at this stat, 90% of our time is spent indoors. That is such an opportunity to use space, particularly when we know that most people are not utilizing wellness programs. So when we make tweaks to the built environment, we have the opportunity of passively touching everybody who works into that space. Um, it doesn't mean it is the only part of the puzzle, but it's often a missed part and it's such an opportunity for anybody in property management to get involved. Um, and I think this, this again kind of illustrates the numbers around why we need to do this. The vast majority of operating costs is spent on the people, on the people in the building, whether it's salary, benefits. And so that's why we want to have this collective conversation so that everybody in leadership from the different disciplines are actually working together in a more coordinated way. 
And um, again, in a world where we are talking about extreme weather events and other things that impact us, um, it's even more important for us to have a focused strategy around this and truly understand if what we have in place is working. And when you look at this, there's so much conversation now about genetics and individualized wellness. But the truth is, is that though this is great and I don't want to denigrate anybody doing the great work out there, you know, particularly around, um, you know, how drugs work for particular people and, and all of this, it's very, very helpful. But it is not the biggest piece of the puzzle. We hear a lot about medical care and um, poor medical care or not the right medical care. Again, good topic for discussion. Lifestyle and health, healthy behaviors. I mean, that's where wellness and you know workplace wellness has sat for many, many years. Well, are you in the STEP program? Are you eating your apples? Are you, you know, all that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But the vast um, majority of um, influence really comes from how we interact with each other and our physical environment. And it is astounding to me how little understanding most organizations who have wellness programs have around this particular topic. Um, I'll give you one stat that, that I share a lot. Uh, there has been an ongoing study out of Stanford since the 80s that asks the question, if you had a personal emergency at two o'clock in the morning, how many people could you call that would pick up the phone or show up at your front door? And so when they started doing this study, most people had at least three people that they could call. By the time they got to the 90s, one out of four people said they had no one, no. which is astounding. And I think that it is reflected now in our society where we're seeing increased rates of suicide in every demographic. Um, there is clear data around loneliness, people feeling isolated. You can be sitting in a room with a group of people. That doesn't mean you're connected to them. And so our opportunity for all of us that care about workplace well-being, we spend 90% of our time indoors. We spend 8 to 10 or 12, I mean, if we're going to be honest, you know, hours a day, depending on your industry, um, potentially with your team and with your workforce. It opens up a door to building better social connection building trust and respect and empathy. And when we start to build this, then all these other health and well-being initiatives that we have um, go on steroids. Uh, I'd also like to point out that one of the major reasons that people leave organizations is their relationship with their supervisor. So, yeah. <laughs> so you don't think about that in, in this bigger context of do we have um, a workforce or a work culture where people feel like they can be heard, feel like they're truly engaged, and starts to bleed over again into leadership, into how we interact with each other. Um, so there is some really strong evidence around um, things like strength finders and core clarity and some of these other pieces that if you can build this into leadership training or into this, you know, why that's HR, that's not health and well-being. Well, my question to you would be, if a leader now understands how they communicate, but also understands the differences in their team members and can adjust, chances are you're gonna build better relationships and stronger teams. And that helps everybody. That helps through innovation, resilience, and crisis. And I am a big fan, you know, full disclosure of strength finders. I have no tie to them financially, but um, I just have found it to be a very simple, easy thing to implement. And if you do this the right way, it, it can be a big help towards having a more connected organization. Um, 
so Rex and I have talked about this. This was a, a slide that was originally put together by um, Hayworth, but it's so important to understand that um, in the bigger context in the US, we can't afford where we're going. Not only can businesses not afford this, but we as a nation cannot afford this. And so uh, there's, there's, I'm not gonna get into the politics of all of this, because <laughs> I'm sure everybody has different opinions, but I think everybody can agree that we have to start taking real action steps um, or we're gonna bankrupt our nation and we don't wanna go there. And businesses have a huge opportunity in making this positive change together. Um, one of the biggest problems is that uh, workplace wellness programs have been put in place and maybe only 5% show real results. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't understand the integrated pieces. So we talked a little bit about um, different departments, benefits, HR, leadership. But when we're designing this strategy, it's all these different areas that we have to think about. So I'll give you an example. I had a phone call from an organization that I will not name that was looking for some support. And I said, well, tell me about your, you know, tell me about what your pain points are. And they said, well, you know, we really, really want to put in a health and well-being program. We care about our employees, but our biggest issue is that we have um, a fair portion of our employees that are living out of their cars. And I was like, uh, yeah, and I'm um, okay. And why is that? <laughs> well, we can't really afford to pay them more. So we want to put in this wellness program. So this again becomes the, um, the blind spots that we have. We expect the wellness program to be this magic bullet for other bigger issues in the culture. And if you aren't looking at it um, or don't have a focus uh, right now, I would highly recommend that companies take a deep look at financial well-being and stability. Please look at it through your gender lens. Please look at it through a DNI lens. Uh, there is a great study that came out of Columbia University about um, in 2016 which we share often through our global wellness um, initiative and through Global Women for Wellbeing. And what it shows is a clear correlation between pay inequity and um, increased risk for women in the workplace for depression and anxiety. So here's a perfect example of crossover. You may be over here talking about 401k and that, you know, and um, your, your financial people are, we want people to save for their retirement but there's no clear understanding of how financial instability impacts health and well-being. And so it's a great place to do an integrated program or strategic program if that's something that's a pain point for you. So that's just an example of um, specific design thinking with science behind it. Uh, and if anybody wants a, you know, um, the link to that, I'm, I'm certainly happy to share. Everybody wants an ROI. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that if you've been in the wellness industry, um, there's been so much discussion, but it's value of the investment. No, it's the return on the investment. No, it's a little bit of both. But I think the reality is, is that if you are a for-profit organization, um, you've got to show a return. You do. Why would any um, leadership team invest time and money and resources in something where they really can't show a return? The biggest issue is that we don't make much of an investment, not in the way that you do in almost every other initiative in your organization. So in general, um, most organizations spend about 1% of their total benefit spend, like their annual benefit spend on their wellness program. By comparison, 
they'll spend approximately 5% of their total payroll budget for leadership training. So my question to organizations is, you know that leadership training is very important. Clearly you're making the investment in that. We know that there are huge cost drivers around health and well-being you know, for our employees, but most organizations are not making that investment. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to suddenly come up with a huge budget, but there has to be some realistic business conversation around um, what can we realistically expect if we are not investing and investing strategically in the first place. Uh, I know that on average, companies will spend about $700-ish per employee. I mean, again, that's an average. Um, it may be to spend for a biometric screening program or a health assessment. It might be for a gift card thing that you're doing for them, whatever it's gonna be. But realistically, um, most of that spend is not getting the results that we need. And so there needs to be real strategy, real design thinking, um, and a real focus on your cultural strengths to start to move this forward if you wanna see some really good results. So what are some of the enemies? <laughs> some of the things that get in the way when we start talking about you know, well-being. Um, and I do like the term well-being versus wellness. Uh, in general, when we talk about wellness, people still tend to think of like the gym and nutrition and, and those kinds of things. Well-being starts to encompass issues like caregiving, um, intergenerational workforce and how we're going to work together, uh, diversity and inclusion and how that shows up, you know, as we're designing these programs. But under, sitting under all of this, unfortunately, is stress. And there is um, one study after another that shows that stress in the workplace is increasing and increasing at a rate that is um, impacting our bottom line, impacting turnover. Um, but I do wanna be clear here, there is good stress and there is bad stress. And so that is another piece of the puzzle that I think um, doesn't get enough attention when we talk about this. Uh, if you're gonna talk in sports terms, you're never gonna get the ball over the goal line without some stress and teamwork, right? <laughs> you just gotta have it um, to make that happen. Um, but teams and football teams do not play full games and full out every single day. They don't do that. Um, real high quality teams, when we talk from a sports perspective, make sure that they have coaches that they have a real game plan that everybody has agreed to. They talk about, we love our team members. You're the coaches, I love my team. And the team is like, we love our coach. I mean, there is real respect and caring. Everybody is mission driven about what they're there to do. When somebody goes down on the field, uh, they get taken care of. They're not left there. <laughs> you know? And so often when we talk about health and well-being, you know, there's so much discussion in sports analogy you know, around how we're going to build business teams, but we don't really think about it in the way that winning teams do, winning sports teams. So our opportunity to address stress in a different way um, is certainly out there and one that can um, truly support our workforce. So a little bit of science. Um, stress, ongoing stress, bad stress, causes inflammation at the cellular level, at the cellular level. And that means you are gonna be much more prone to cancer, to being pre-diabetic, to pretty much all of these big healthcare costs that we're trying to avoid. So it goes back to what can we put in to be preventive or to deal with the stressors when they first show up instead of trying to deal with this 
after the fact, after we're already in crisis? I think too, Mim, is that a lot of organizations, at least what I see, is they're kind of like once and done. And this has to be an ongoing process to reinforce it because it's kind of like going to the gym once and expecting to be fit for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like me, you have to buy, right. buy, buy a gym membership. You actually have to go to get healthy, you know? Who knew? <laughs> it can't just be once and done. It has to be done as an iterative process to be able to continue to coach and guide people. And I just wanted to layer that on because I think it really supports your statement. Well, and that's a, I 100% agree with you. I mean, most of the work that I've done over my career in this area, it is a one or two year process, strategy process. It is ongoing training. It's Think about it as, as expecting somebody to learn how to ride a bike just by throwing a bike at them. That doesn't happen. Um, we are giving, we're, we need to give them new skills. We need to um, address again, the fears, the biases that sit behind this. Our um, unfortunate uh, focus on a culture where we value busyness. I'm so busy. Oh, I have no time to do this. Oh my gosh. As if that's a badge of courage, as if that is the thing that works. So the flip side of that is that there is literally no productivity data that shows that when you work more than 60 hours a week, that you are more productive, none. And in fact, there are studies that came out that are, <laughs> I think they're now more than hundred years old, which is really sad when you think about it, but we just have to keep talking about it. Um, there was a great study that was done with uh, women that were working in munitions plants in the United Kingdom back in World War I. And they found that when they worked um, X amount of hours, less than what they expected, they were actually more productive. Right here in the United States, Henry Ford did the same thing. He was a businessman. He was there to make money. And he reduced working hours for his employees in the 1920s because he figured out that when they worked eight-hour shifts, they were more productive. And with this onslaught of technology and people answering, I think on average now, some of the studies I've seen um, on average, our office workers are answering anywhere from 150 to 200 emails a day, every day. Our brains are not built to do that. And so the expectations that we've put on ourselves, answering emails at all times of the night and um, logging in during our vacations is exacerbating um, burnout and it's stressing out people. And so we really need to use the data that's out there to strategically put these things on, in place and use science to drive this, not just what we think it's supposed to be or, well, my experience has been, um, and I also think we come up against sometimes um, leaders that have worked very, very hard to get to where they are. And I wanna honor that. Um, but we're in a different time and we have really this burning platform. If we want our companies out there being successful, and driving positive change and bringing the best products to the, to the marketplace. Um, we need the best teams to do this. And so we have to use all of the best knowledge that is out there in order to keep that competitive edge. So what's interesting is that um, to me, particularly around what, um, what's done from a design perspective, is this idea of legible design, right? What are the practical things that when you're designing a space, that actually support health and well-being. 
Um, one of the things that I found interesting is that um, almost all ergonomics um, protocols or um, benchmarking is, uh, was done based on men between the ages of 18 and 24. So this is another place where there's bleed in for women in the workplace and thinking, okay, is the person that's going around and making sure that you have the proper ergonomic design looking at it, not just through these protocols, but understanding that there are physiological differences for different people in your workplace. Um, that's just one example of where I, I look at legible design um, as being an area of opportunity. Uh, the second part of this is also remembering that um, people need to have voice. So we all may be experts, we may be the HR person, the wellness person, the consultant. But from my experience and what I've seen, the best way to do this is to bring people into the conversation that normally wouldn't be from different parts of the organization. Let them have voice. And um, the more they have bought into and, and feel like they're a part of this, because they will take it back to their teams, the faster these nudges and these, these um, different design tweaks that you're putting in there into your environment um, are going to be effective. And they'll be your champions for this. And there's a whole strategy behind doing that. It's, um, it, it is a big beef with me that there are tons of organizations now that talk about having wellness champions networks or wellness ambassadors. Um, but in some cases, they're basically just told, hey, we need you to be a rah-rah without any real training. They're not really part of the overall strategy about how you're going to utilize them in uh, creating this strategy, uh, wellness innovation, um, and also making sure that it's demographically appropriate. Um, so it's a real opportunity. If you do have a wellness committee, um, I invite you to take the time to look at who's on that committee. Is it only the people that are super healthy and your your fitness folks and, and they're wonderful and you want them to be the cheerleaders. But the biggest cost drivers in most of our organizations um, are the people that aren't utilizing these programs. And so when you can bring them in and hear what their pain points are. So here's an example, mother, uh, single mother, she's got two kids, at home. She's barely making her bills. She's potentially working a second job. If you have people in your organization like that, you need to hear from them because they're not going to take advantage of your gym membership. Um, they may be incredibly skilled at design or, or some other piece of the puzzle that you really need. So getting to hear their voice is going to be incredibly important. Um, look at all the levels of diversity. Are there people from different ages? So old, young, um, there are many organizations now that have up to five generations in the workplace. And so it's either your wellness people tend to be younger and they're like, woohoo, we're gonna do this. And we're gonna do the, um, you know, the crazy marathons and the ones with all the, you know, the pretty colored powder and all this, you know, and that's great and that's wonderful. But it is such a miss to not put in things that can support um, everyone in your workplace. Um, so taking the time to give them control to listen to their voice can help you design in a much more effective way. And they're going to love you for it. So I did want to um, put this in, and this was uh, Rex Miller and a bunch of us were out at, this is from the GoDaddy um, headquarters. This is actually a picture from their headquarters. And I love this for a couple of different reasons. Um, one, they use natural elements. 
So if you've ever read the book, um, The Healthy Workplace by Lee Stringer, and she is a dear friend and somebody that I, I just love her and her voice around this. But if you have not read that book, um, especially from a design background, she's an architect um, and she's worked with Harvard School of Public Health and just a champion for healthy design and um, healthy workplaces and a great, great book. Um, but she talks very deeply about natural elements and pictures of, and it doesn't even really have to be wood. That's the crazy thing. You can put in silk plants if you can't afford the real plants uh, and signage, positive signage, that there is a real psychological benefit to doing this. Added a couple other things on here too. If you're um, working in the cafeteria, we know that when you use taller or smaller containers, people will actually eat less. Um, and it's just this simple way. Everybody's picking it up. You don't even have to put out any kind of a PR statement about it. Nothing. You can just quietly do this and make a positive impact. Um, I've seen signage in hallways, like your back stairwells. Um, there's all kinds of unique places that you can start to think about and get creative. And I'm going to show you an example of that a little bit later. And I think it's very important to also think about um, extroverts versus introverts. Uh, I will tell you that I have worked in environments that are totally open office concepts. So there is more and more growing data that shows just how um, unhealthy that ends up being for, a for the vast majority, unfortunately, of people that are working in these environments. Now, totally get that you can't like, okay, now we're just gonna revamp the whole space. Understand that. But if you have an opportunity to design for a new space, um, keep this in mind. Uh, I've had the, I, really the privilege of being able to be walked around multiple um, Google office spaces now by their head designer. And um, it was, and of course I asked him a million questions, well, why did you do this and why did you do this? But there are so many intentional things that they put in place because they said, we've got people that are very, very introverted. We want them to go and connect with other people in, in different departments, but they're not gonna do that in the same kind of place that an extrovert, right? We're big open space and oh, we're all gonna go in there and do that. Um, GoDaddy has also done an amazing job. So very uh, mixed design in terms of where can people meet up? How can we make everybody feel comfortable? Um, I know HOK is doing uh, a lot of research on um, people that are on the autism spectrum and how you bring, you know, how we integrate them because they have some skill sets now. Again, we have these biases and yet um, these folks have some unique skill sets and unique ways of seeing things that can contribute to our teams. But we have to think about the physical space that they're in, noise pollution around them. Um, so there's huge opportunity as we look at uh, new spaces that we're designing or if we're gonna revamp a space um, that we may not have been thinking about in the past. And I, you know, I cannot overemphasize the diversity and inclusion piece of this. It is um, usually your diversity and inclusion initiatives sit over here with HR or even separate from HR. I've seen it like in another separate silo. But when people can come into a space that feels welcoming to them, that they know um, they are cared about, it helps everyone. It helps leadership, it helps the team, it helps the overall purpose of the company. And so um, please don't keep those pieces separate. 
reach out if you've never met anybody from your team on diversity inclusion, or if you're a benefits person, you know, your property management team, you know, the first step is just picking up the phone and saying, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Let's have a conversation. Um, the folks on the property management side may already be familiar with the well building standard and what Delos has done and fit well and some of those other things. Um, and some of the sustainability uh, initiatives through LEAD. Um, but I invite you then to talk to your HR benefits people and see what they're doing on the other side. Because at the end of the day, who are we doing this for? Who is sustainability for? Who is environmental sustainability for? It's for all of us. It's for our employees, our teams, and our communities. So the more we can start to share, you know, the better we're gonna be able to problem solve. Um, I put this slide in uh, because this is uh, the explosion that happened at Lex and 42nd Street in 2006. This happened right outside my building. And I was so impressed with how the property management team safely got everybody out of this building. So to set the stage, this was just a few years after 9-11. When the explosion happened, the steam, the debris, everything went up like 18 stories. The noise was deafening, the whole building is shaking. Nobody in that building knew what was going on. Is it a dirty bomb? Is it a terrorist attack? Like we really didn't know. Um, I was actually on the bus home um, and I was on the phone with my team. And so they, big chunks of cement were flying through the window. And they said that the building management team stayed calm, got everybody out of that building they actually took them back through another place that they normally would not have gone. And I have to give kudos to whoever trained them. Because when we talk about health and well-being and are we healthy and are we ready to show up, particularly for anybody in property management, this is when it's most important. Are we rested? Are we gonna make the right choices when this kind of event happens? I hope it never does, but I think that in the world that we're in, it's just something that we have to be extremely aware of. So here are just some magical pictures. I was just on the phone with a friend of mine in Australia. We all know what's going on in Australia. So if your office is, is um, suddenly impacted by this, um, you've got to think about it. The flooding, major snowstorms, all of this is on our radars now as property management or facility managers. And um, I'm sure many of you have sat in a meeting just like this one. <laughs> What's our game plan? What are we gonna do? Let's make sure everybody knows what they need to do and who's responsible for what. My question for you is this. When you look at this team, do you know if anybody sitting in this room is a single mother? So if you're going through a crisis situation and that person gets called in, does she have support for her children? Is there somebody in this room that has a mother or father that they take care of that has Alzheimer's or dementia? Is there anybody in this room that's on um, maintenance medication of some kind that if they get stuck in a facility for 36 hours or 48 hours or whatever it is because of a crisis, that they have what they need so that they can do the job that they need to get done? And I'd encourage you to really think about this through a wellness lens. Not only what are you gonna do in a crisis situation and do you have the right plan in there to protect the building and your data, but is your team rested, resilient, and aware of the resources that your organization has in place to support them through crisis. The sad thing is, is that um, I, on my side of the fence, I talk a lot about EAP, employee assistance programs. 
And I have been at major conferences and asked executives, do you know what your EAP is? And a thousand people in a room, and I've seen two hands go up. So your EAP is there to support people through mental health crisis. And if you're going to do one thing, <laughs> one action step, I encourage you to go and read about your EAP benefits, understand what they are, how to get to them, and build that into this plan. So that if somebody is in crisis on your team during a crisis, they know exactly who they need to get in touch with so that they have that support. And then once you've prepared your team, I think this is another opportunity for you to go out there and share that with other parts of the company. Um, again, it opens up this door. It shows such value from a property management perspective. Um, and it's just this way to bridge a gap. I think if you have this conversation, there isn't any leader out there that isn't concerned about what we're going to do in a crisis situation. And so if they see you with a good game plan, um, it, it's opportunity to help other people in your organization. And then I know many of you also um, also are responsible for buildings that have multiple employers in, you know, in that building complex. And it's, again, it's another opportunity to um, start a conversation with them and show some value. Here's what we're doing as your property management company. Um, and we want you to be aware of what we're doing. And here's some things that you should be thinking about for your employees. And again, it gets to that bigger conversation around how do we support everybody? How do we make sure, particularly in crisis, that everybody is taken care of and not going to get left behind? Um, so wellness programs have been around for a very long time. <laughs> and um, the reality is, is that uh, many of the things that leadership um, thinks is, is an effective wellness program are not necessarily working. So I wanted to share this graphic with you. Uh, this was done by PwC, and they interviewed a whole bunch of leaders about, do you support wellness, and what about wellness do you think is most important? So as you can see, the big bubbles there, five and six, are biometric screenings and health risk assessments. <laughs> and that is um, something that honestly really just um, frustrates me, because it's not that these two pieces are not bad tools. But too often, these are the only two pieces that many companies are relying on. And to date, there is literally no science that shows that doing these two pieces without integrating into, into other pieces of the puzzle um, drives any long-term change for the vast majority of your employees that are participating in these programs. I understand that there are one-offs. You know, you find the person with a really high blood pressure and they get sent to the hospital, and that's wonderful. But that's one person or two people. And realistically, we have to build programs that touch more of the population, that support them in ways um, that meet their needs and help them become healthier. I think the other thing is that there is an awareness about EAP on this particular study, uh, but I again ask you to go back and look at your own organization. Ask for utilization numbers around this. I've seen many companies that are only getting two to three to 4% participation where the NIH clearly shows that at least 20% of our population at any given time has a mental health issue, a real mental health issue. So there's a real disconnect. Um, and then the third piece of the puzzle here is potentially looking at your Rx benefit spend and um, 
identifying if you've had an increase in our expense related to mental health and well-being? My guess is probably yes over the past like five to 10 years. So this is where you can start to correlate things and tie together some measurements and get more strategic in how you're planning. The other big myth that usually happens is that we give equal treatment. There is no one size fits all. I've been doing benefits design and wellness design and I've talked to and, and work with, you know, leadership at Wellcoa and, uh, you know, National Wellness Institute. And it's not, to, it's just saying that all the major wellness and health and wellbeing organizations agree. There and the science shows there is no one size fits all. So having a platform or a, an N app um, is basically like this, this graphic illustrates. And this actually came from another presentation from another colleague of mine. And I just loved it so much. I was like, I have to put this in um, because I think it gets the visual. We can give everybody a bike that's exactly the same size, but that is not going to move people forward. We have to talk about equity. And I think this really gets underscored from a health and well-being perspective when we talk about issues like caregiving. There is a deep correlation between um, an employee's ability to be the leader they're meant to be and whether or not they are um, the primary caregiver in their family at home. And so programs that um, allow for paid time off um, are a huge benefit or some kind of resource, whether it's backup daycare, backup um, elder care, there's all kinds of things that can be put in place to help support them. Even a specific program, if you bring in uh, an expert on legal documents for healthcare directives and um, power of attorney and what you need to know about wills for people that you may be taking care of, it doesn't sound like wellness, but I will tell you personally, as somebody who was the caretaker to my father at the end of his life, not having these things in place causes that will cause you an inordinate amount of stress. And this is one thing that you can bring in and have a conversation with that's going to impact almost everybody. I'd also just like to highlight that millennials, more millennials than you think are caregivers to older parents because their parents had them at older ages. And so it's just another opportunity to open up a conversation and provide something that can truly help employees in a meaningful way. So we've touched on this a little bit, but we're very big on talking about not keeping things in silos. We, we just talked about caregiving, but think about this. Somebody who's a caregiver, they're now at, that person's at the end of their life. They have to take time off. Um, they may now have to go part-time. And so this is gonna impact their financial well-being. It starts to get into some of the gender equity data that's out there. So we already know that women in the workplace make about 80 cents to the dollar, depending on the industry that you're in. So now that if we, now if we take off, you know, a few years or we work part-time, this has an even bigger impact on our financial well-being. And this, again, starts to bleed into more of this D&I discussion. Um, it also impacts how different people lead within your organization. Often we have women going into leadership positions um, right when they become premenopausal and menopausal. And for some of you, that might be an uncomfortable topic, but it's a reality and it's not a disability. It's actually um, just the natural course of things, but having real resources in place 
for leaders that want to be able to address that for themselves is again, another opportunity and a place to really support them. And it speaks to how you're supporting female leadership in your organization, um, as well as aging workers in your population. So you start to see some of this design thinking crossover um, focus that can start to put what you're doing on steroids and provide real value. The other big piece of this, and of course we all know this, is that we are in a huge war for talent. No doubt about it. So I wanted to put this stat in here because I think when you're talking to top leaders about why, why it's important to build a real strategy and um, to put in a real project plan and that um, this has real value, is that top talent cares about health and well-being. And um, when you're starting to you know, bring in that talent, it is going to be one of the pieces that they're going to start to, um, what they're gonna ask you about. And they're gonna go out online. And so I think a lot of the well washing that has happened in a lot of organizations, just like we've seen green washing, um, you know, in the sustainability side, uh, smart people that wanna contribute to a company, they wanna know you're doing the right thing. And they're gonna ask a lot of questions. So this again becomes an opportunity to provide something that is gonna bring the people into your organization um, that you need and keep them there. So I did want to share with you that, um, you know, we've talked extensively with the leadership at the Breakers in Palm Beach. If any of you know that it's a five-star resort, they have close to 2,000 employees. Um, they've been around for a very long time and they cater obviously to some very high-end people. Now what's interesting about their workforce is that they have everybody from third shift workers that do not speak English, they're cleaning rooms or doing laundry or, you know, working um, outside of maintenance, um, all the way up to top executives that work with the VIPs that, you know, that come to this resort. So years ago, about 14 years ago, they had almost 100% turnover, which is a huge cost to the company. And so they took two steps back and their leadership, specifically the head of their board, um, their CEO and their VP of HR, um, and started talking about what are we going to do differently? What, this is not who we want to be as an organization. And so unlike many wellness programs, they started with, what can we do to show that we care about our employees so that we can have a culture of excellence for our guests? And care doesn't mean that they aren't being evaluated. It means making sure that everybody has what they need and that they feel included in this organization. So fast forward, they are down to less than 18% turnover. So that is a very clear, measurable number. Um, in addition to that, they have moved, um, done a very successfully moved more women into leadership positions. They are very intentionally working on um, diversity um, from you know, all perspectives so that they can be best in class and um, are big contributors to their community, which is a big draw for them. And that has turned into um, the ability uh, to keep the talent that they need. They literally have no problem. I mean, they have a waiting list of people coming into their organization. Um, and I think that every leader would want to be able to tell the same story. So there is a very strong business case for this. If you're willing to build the strategy and do the design thinking and bring in the voices that you need to, to do this in an intentional way. So I want to put up a couple pictures of some of what I call Oh, boring design, <laughs> the things that um, drive me a little bit crazy. And most of us have worked in, you know, you know, 
the, the landscape of cubicles. And again, realistically, you can't just magically change this. But there are tweaks, low-cost tweaks that you can do to environments like this that can make a huge difference. Um, I talk about bathrooms, which seems kind of crazy. But I think most of us know that when people get bad news or um, they're upset about something or maybe they're not feeling 100% and they just need to sit down until that aspirin kicks in or whatever, they'll go and sit in the bathroom. And so it's an opportunity to say, what does that bathroom feel like? Can we put in a chair where somebody can sit? Can we put in a simple shelf with just a couple of things, some tissues? Uh, you know, it, those are tiny, tiny things. Are there, um, is there you know, a pretty picture that we can put on some of these doors to make it feel more inviting? Um, simple, simple things. Stairwells, you know, this whole conversation, we want people to walk more, we want people to walk up and down stairs. And again, if you're designing a new building, of course you can put this, the beautiful stairwell in the middle of the building. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. But most of us work in buildings where um, this is what the stairwells look like. And from a safety perspective, this is great, right? There's no boxes, it's well lit. So thumbs up from a safety perspective, but it's not very inviting. So this is an opportunity for us when we're looking at these um, environments to change it. So I love this picture. Uh, this is actually in San Francisco and uh, beautiful mosaic. And I, I recognize that, hey, you're not going to spend a bazillion dollars on bringing in artists, you know, to necessarily do this kind of artwork. However, you probably have colleges or high schools with art departments. And this would be a great way to connect with people in your community, bring art into your stairwells and have connection potentially with some of your employees, particularly if their kids are doing some of these paintings. So I'd ask you to give this some thought because it works on multiple levels from an organizational perspective. I love blackboard paint. Again, super low cost. And I've seen organizations um, paint the landing wall uh, in blackboard paint and then put up really cool questions or again, if they've got somebody artistic, they can put something in. It could be an inspiring word. You can change it up. Again, super low cost. You know, all you have to do is wash it down, put up another question, and then your HR department can take pictures, your benefits people. Um, it becomes like a really cool place to share information, inspire people. Um, if you do have some more money and want to put in a, a, a video screen, um, I've seen that used effectively well as well. So you can, um, so it's like video screen, big black hole. Well, not if you're running nature videos, not if you're running videos of um, uh, initiatives in your organization. And an example of that would be, we want people to take more vacation time, real vacation time. And a way to encourage people of doing that, to do that is to have them share some of their best pictures. Um, again, you have to have some protocol. That's the HR and you got to talk to them about that, right? So we don't want people necessarily um, doing certain things, but you can get some amazing nature pictures and start running them as a loop as part of that initiative. Um, I've seen another initiative that we worked with with another company where we talked about, well, everybody loves pets. You know, you may not even have a pet, but look, puppy pictures, kitten pictures, there's a reason why people look at them on, you know, <laughs> you know, on social media. Um, great opportunity to say, hey, send us your favorite pet picture. And you can have that on a running loop to make people smile and feel better. So there's just really creative ways that you can start to use your space um, 
What if you had a conference room where every time you walked into the conference room, there was a beautiful nature picture there? Or maybe it's a picture of this really cool design in another part of the company. Like, look at what this team did and the plants that they put in here. So it very, very low cost and um, easy, easy things to implement. Um, even using your video screens, again, if you're a property management firm for a big giant um, building with multiple employers, well, why not collect a few things from some of your, your, um, you know, your clients in the building and highlight what they're doing? I mean, it's just fun and they'll love you for it. And last but not least of these pictures, I love this because you know, I ask you to not forget um, delight, delight in design. It's not just about functionality. It's not just about you know, the natural environment. It's um, we relieve stress by putting smiles on people's faces and it seems so simple. It seems like such a, you know, a, something that we don't discuss enough, but I loved this because here it's like they put art in the space and they're using plants. You know, what a great, you know, great way to, um, to do that. And another example of that is um, the Google office in San Francisco as we were getting the tour, um, they were talking about how they work with their employees and there was this one office space and they said they really wanted this big terrarium in the back, which they put in for them. What was cool is that as you got closer to it, you saw that there were like little dinosaurs in it. And it was just so cute, yeah. <laughs> so exactly, you smile, right? It's like, oh, look at that, that's really fun. Or you come around the corner and there's this fuzzy blue pillow just randomly there. It takes us out of our stressful place. Um, so there's so many opportunities at such a micro level where we can add delight that supports better health and well-being for employees that can be done at low cost as you're looking at some of these bigger strategies. Um, and there is real science to support this. So um, if you have not read this study, I put this in here because I invite you to go out and take a look at this. When you use those natural features, you do get better return on health and well-being. And that's for everyone. That's not just for your marathoners. That's not just for a particular group. It helps and supports everybody in that workplace. And um, they are more productive. They are more creative. And there is not an organization that I could mention that doesn't want to have a more productive, more creative workforce. Um, so I hope um, touching on all of this, uh, it's opened up um, some questions, some thoughts. And um, I did want to put this in because uh, Moving Art is Louis Schwartzberg's work. Some of this is free and downloadable. So if you're looking for videos, um, I highly recommend you look at his work. It is extraordinarily beautiful. Um, I was introduced to his work at the Global Wellness Summit. And um, I know it's used in spas now. And I just would love to see more of this. In, in our workplaces to promote the health and well-being of, of everybody that's in that space. So thank you so much for your time today. And um, I'd ask you to remember that wellness is not about the absence of illness. I mean, we really need to be talking about resilience and thriving teams and intentional design and inclusion and thinking about everybody in the workplace and their families and, um, and their, their folks that you know, all our programs touch beyond just the walls in the building. Um, we have such an opportunity to help our organizations and the organizations that we work with have real human sustainability and drive um, truly thriving cultures. And they'll keep their competitive edge. And what a great, great legacy for all of us to be able to leave, not just for this workforce, but for the next generation. 
So thank you so much for allowing me to share my voice and thank you for this opportunity to have the conversation. My goodness, Mim, thank you so much. That was such a, uh, I mean, on so many levels, I feel like I'm drinking from the fire hose of knowledge. It's so, so much material and I think will really dovetail so nicely into some of our other presenters. Like one of the things you really laid such a great foundation of is how well-being fits and enables the culture and as well as the HR objectives. And you'll hear in my talk about how FM professionals, facilities managers, are there all the time. We're a constant. We're there to look after the premises. And we're actually evolving into one of more hospitality. You'll hear about that in another talk. But really about how do we really help enable the ongoing program of well-being? And one of the things that, a spoiler alert, we're starting to do is getting involved with things like onboarding and training and support and events management, which includes a lot of well-being, training, nudging those behaviors um, with the program of facilities that runs more like, almost like a cruise ship of activities and options. And I think the other thing that really I learned so much listening to you today is just to go back and rethink about your stakeholders. It's not just those people that volunteer, it's the people that really need it. And then the diversity of options and needs, and it could be generation, it could be gender, any of those things, but humans are so diverse. So continuing to make accessible those options that resonate with them so that they want to do it. And don't, like I grew, I'm, I'm um, recovering Gen X. And so my generation, <laughs> We don't like to be told what to do. We grew up listening to The Clash and so forth. <laughs> but we love to be inspired and we're very competitive and we love to be challenged, right? So if you provide somebody with a number of options that are very engaging and inspiring, they're more likely to do that rather than to be told what to do, which feels so oppressive. Right. And I just really learned a lot and I'm looking forward to applying so many of the insights that you shared today, Mem. Thank you so, so very much. Um, how can we keep in touch with you? Do you have a newsletter or is that on is that your website? Can we sure. follow yeah. you on social media? Like how can we stay in touch with you? You've, you're Absolutely. just terrific. Um, yeah, so I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also a co-founder of Global Women for Wellbeing, which is nonprofit. And we're very focused on empowering more healthy, healthy female leadership at all levels and um, having a bigger conversation uh, towards gender bridge building. So intentionally bringing men and women together um, across the gender arc. We talk about non-binary, we add in trans conversation, um, but this bigger discussion around this, and this is clearly a part of all of the health and well-being, you know, um, initiatives. And we at, at Motivity are deeply passionate about this. And, and so it is research-based. If please, uh, you know, connect with us on our website, um, if you're looking for more information specifically around action steps around tying together benefits and HR and some of this stuff, happy to share information. Uh, and we are really believe in, in the more good together theme. It is uh, when we hold knowledge and we hold these pieces um, too close to our chest, we are hurting not just ourselves, but the world and, and our organizations. And so um, would love to connect with anybody on this call. 
Um, you're welcome to join us in London on March 5th. And um, you know, keep an eye out for events that we're gonna be doing in New York, um, uh, both in the US and, and globally. And more good together, more good together. Thank you so much for, for everything that um, each and every one of you is doing out there to create more sustainable workforces, to um, really create a better world. And it's, it's an honor to be here with everyone. Oh, man, we're so grateful for your time and wisdom. Barb and I will make sure that all of your links and your book references, which I also love book recommendations, and you had a few, uh, we'll make sure that those are one click away for any of our audience members. Thank you, thank you so much for your uh, great wisdom today. On behalf of Leading Innovation at Work, this is Lori Rowlandson signing off for this episode today. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at lorirowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N dot com. Thank you for listening.